Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. Great to hear the kids recite verses. And that was just fantastic, wasn't it? Some of the very youngest, I think we had the best for last, best two for last, and uh, just fantastic. So good to be here. It's my pleasure. It's my blessing to be here. And uh, we are going to look at the subject of Israel. And uh, But I want to mention a few things. First of all, I want to, um, a lot of wires up here. <laughs> Half of them are my wires, so can't complain. But anyway, on the back table, uh, there are some great books that uh, the assembly has on uh, the table there. But I have a table with some newsletters on various topics, current event type topics. Feel free to take one of those if you like. There is a booklet like this. A lot of you have it already. But if you don't have it, it's on the Lord's Supper. If you don't have it, it's a free book. Feel free to take that. And all the other books are $10. And if you want to purchase one of them, just see me about that, and that would, be, that would be great. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 22. Book of Numbers chapter 22. And we have been looking at Israel. And you cannot turn the television on, the newspaper, open the front page, uh, listen to the radio without learning something about Israel. You probably can recite. If I asked 100 people on the street who the president of the United States was, they'd probably get it right. But if you ask 50 people, you ask the same 100 people who the, the president of Israel is, and I bet 50 people get it right. President Bibi Netanyahu. And uh, some people say he should be our president. They like him so much. Uh, but he's in the news. They're in the news all of the time. And uh, we want to learn a little bit about Israel. Israel's in the Bible. The word Israel is used in the Bible only second to the name of God, 2,000 times. The word Jerusalem, the city, great city uh, of Zion, is used 800 times. The land of Israel is mentioned 144 times. The, the name, the God of Abram, Abraham, is mentioned 200 times. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, I think 217 times. You cannot read the Bible without seeing that Israel is a central figure. And, of course, the Lord says uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6 that he loves Israel. He loves Israel and he chose Israel, not because she was the greatest nation in numbers on the earth, but she was the smallest nation. So God has a very close relationship with Israel. And we as Christians have a very close relationship with the land of Israel and the people of Israel. And so we want to look at that this morning. Now, there are Christians, many Christians in the world today, Bible-believing Christians that I think are misguided about Israel. And they say that Israel is no longer God's people. God has rejected Israel. Israel has been disobedient. They've been unfaithful. Israel was involved in calling the Roman government to crucify the Lord Jesus. When it came time uh, for the Lord Jesus to be crucified, the Roman uh, emperor at that time in Jerusalem said, should we crucify him or let him go free? And the Jewish leader said three times, crucify him, crucify him. And so many Christians would say today, because of the actions of Israel in the first century and, and centuries following, that God has rejected Israel. In 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. In 132 A.D. in, in Israel, 
The city was destroyed, plowed under. Not one, not one building remained in Jerusalem. No one could live in, no Jew could live in Judea. And so again, some people, some Christians of that day said, God must surely have rejected his people, the children of Israel. And I want to think with you about this subject. Has God rejected his people because, and his promises to them because of disobedience? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disobedient as a Christian? Don't raise your hand, but I know you can just go like this. I know you have. Every Christian has. Those who say that God's rejected Israel have also been unfaithful to the Lord. And we know that God is a faithful God. He's a faithful God. His faithfulness is new every morning. His faithfulness to us is unfailing, the Bible says. And his, faithful, his faithfulness to Israel and his promises to Israel are unfailing. Yes, they've been disobedient. At times, the Lord has disciplined Israel. But at times, the Lord chastens us and disciplines us. And I want to think this morning with you, has God cast away his people? Now, we're in Numbers chapter 22. One of the great chapters of the Bible, and you probably have read it and thought about it. It's the account in the Bible about Balaam, the prophet Balaam, who the king of Moab goes to and wants to pay him money to go and curse Israel so they can gain a victory. It said that the Israelites were coming into the promised land. There were so many of them that the king of Moab says they cover all of the earth not literally, but there was such a number of them, they feared they would take over their land and they wanted a prophet to curse the children of Israel. Now, just prior to chapter 22, we find Israel being unfaithful. They're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. They were unfaithful. In fact, not one Israelite over 20 years old was able to go into the promised land because they were all unfaithful and died in the wilderness. So when we come to chapter 22... Israel is not faithful. Israel is not what God wanted them to be. But as we come to chapter 22, we're going to read a few verses. Children of Israel set forward and encamped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, we find, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and very much afraid of this people. So he went, <clears throat> verse 5, sent messengers, therefore, to Balaam, the son of Behor of Bethor, by the river of the land of the children of the people, to call him. Say, behold, there's a people that have come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of all the earth. And he says, I want you to curse them. I want you to curse them so when we go to battle, we will be victorious over them. Now drop down with me, down to verse 12. Comes time. For Balaam to curse Israel. And God speaks to him. And God comes to him. And says you are not going to curse Israel. And here's what God tells Balaam in verse 12. God said unto Balaam. Thou shall not go with them. For thou shall not curse the people. What does it say next? Now remember they were disobedient. Remember. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, could not go into the land because they were not a faithful people. But what does God say about them? 
He says, you will not curse this people. For they are blessed. They are God's people. We are God's people. They have failed. We have failed. But God has not cast them off. And if we say, well, God has cast off Israel because they were disobedient. We're not very much better than Israel. And will God cast us off? Well, God forbid. Well, let's think a little bit about this subject. John MacArthur is a well-known preacher in uh, California. He's had a long ministry. He was coming to the end of his life. And it's not that old. He's 75 years old. But he's coming nearing the end of his ministry. But he, in about five, six years ago, he wrote in 2007, eight years ago, he wrote a paper. And the paper was called Why Every Calvinist Should Be a Premillennialist. Now, that's a kind of provoking title to a sermon. But here's what he writes. The Reformed theological world, there are people who believe in the doctrine of election more strongly than anywhere else. They are more prone to deny Israel's election than anywhere else. In fact, they have come up with the idea that the church, God's new people, God's new and present elect, receive all the promises once given to Israel. That is, all the Old Testament promises and covenants have been canceled to Israel because of Israel's apostasy, Israel's unbelief, and Israel's rejection of Christ. So this nation has become permanently set aside, the result being that all the promises have now come to the church. Now, he's not agreeing with this idea. He's just describing the idea. There are some, those from a Reformed background, friends and fellow brothers and sisters of John MacArthur. So they've come up with this idea that Israel has been set aside because of disobedience and unbelief. He goes on and says something else in the same article. How could so many Calvinists ever come up with such an idea? Where did it come from? There's no verse in the Bible anywhere that says the promises of God to Israel have been canceled. And that the church is the new Israel. You cannot find that in the Bible. That's pretty strong language. However, Reformed theology as such is hard-pressed to prove the point. And in fact, Reformed exegesis, that is the discipline of interpreting Scripture, works very hard, I think, to manipulate the Scriptures to avoid the obvious. The obvious is that Israel is the people of God. 2,000 times they're mentioned in the Old Testament or in the Bible, which says there's no future kingdom for Israel. For that matter, there's no earthly kingdom. Now, we want to think about this. There are some Christians who disagree with him. I agree with him. But there's some that disagree with him. And I want to think about what some of them say. They're well-known Christians. And then I want to go to the Bible. And look at this question. Has God broken his promises to Israel? Promises in the Old Testament. Has he taken them away and now given them to the church? One of the leading teachers in this area <clears throat> is a man named John Piper. John Piper used to be the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's retired from there, but now he writes and he travels. <clears throat> and he is a, a leading proponent of the idea that Israel is no longer the people of God. God has set him aside, cast him off. 
He says, Jesus has come into the world as a Jewish Messiah. <clears throat> and his own people rejected him and broke covenant with their God. Even though Jesus was the Messiah, he did many mighty works and taught with great authority and fulfilled the Old Testament promises. Nevertheless, the people of Israel as a whole rejected him. This was the most serious covenant-breaking disobedience that Israel ever committed in all our history. I'd agree with that. But will we say that God broke? It's interesting in the first quotation, we, or Israel, broke the promise with God. Israel has broken covenant with her God and is living today in disobedience and unbelief in his son and her Messiah. That is why Paul said in Romans 11:28, let's turn to that for a moment, Romans 11:28. Romans 11:28 as regard as regards the gospel, the good news of the Messiah, they are the enemies of God. Now that's where the quotation ends. As concerning the gospel, the good news of the Messiah, they are Israel. They are the enemies of God. Now that is very strong language. He doesn't quote the whole verse, and I want you to see the whole verse for what it says. It says in verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are I'm reading from the King James Bible. The New King James says the same thing. It's concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, speaking to the church. This translation he's using is the ESV, but he doesn't quote the whole verse. It's concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching election, the calling of God, the choosing of God. They are beloved. Israel is beloved for the Father's sake. And verse 29, in context, connects with this previous verse. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Well, that makes a whole different story, doesn't it, from the first part of the verse. As regards to the gospel, yes, Israel opposed the gospel in the preaching of the gospel in the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts. No doubt about that. The Sadducees opposed the preaching of the early church. No doubt in the gospels, the Pharisees opposed the Lord Jesus. But the early church was made up predominantly of what? Of Jewish people, those who did come to Christ. 5,000 and 3,000 on different occasions, early parts of the book of, Christ, the, the, uh, book of Acts came to Christ, predominantly Jewish people. And I want to look at this subject with you this morning. Has God, has Israel broke covenant? Has God broken covenant? And they are no longer his people. And he will not, there's no future for Israel. Is that what the Bible teaches? And I would suggest this morning that that is not at all what is taught. A few more quotations. The promises made to Abraham, including the promise of land, will be inherited as an everlasting gift only by true spiritual Israel. He means the church, not disobedient, unbelieving Israel. In other words, the promises cannot be demanded by anyone just because he's Jewish. Jewish ethnicity has a place in God's plan, but it is not enough to secure anything. It does not qualify a person 
to be an heir of a promise to Abraham and his offspring. Being born Jewish does not make a person an heir of a promise, neither promise of land or any other promise. Through the history of Israel, covenant breaking and disobedience and idolatry disqualified Israel from the present divine right to the land. Now let's look at the scriptures. What does the Bible say? Now, there were a number of times Israel was disobedient, and there was deportations. God brought other, other nations and empires to Israel, and they took a large number of Israelites. In the Assyrian captivity, about 50,000, not all Israel was taken, about 50,000 were taken as slaves to Assyria, uh, but Israel became a vassal state, which means they had to pay tribute uh, to the king of Assyria. In 605, the Babylonians came in and took many away to Babylon. And later on in 538, under King Cyrus, Zerubbabel came and 49,000 came back with him. And Ezra, 1,700 came back from Babylon with him. And Nehemiah in 445 came back. They were taken away. Absolutely. These two, these two dates were taken away. But they also came back into the land. God brought them back into the land and they lived in the land. And God told them while they're in the land, it was their land. Were they faithful when they came back? Were they without any disobedience when they came back? Was the nation of Israel absolutely in obedience and belief? No, they weren't. But God is faithful to his promises. If it if was if God's principle was you cannot be blessed unless you are absolutely obedient every hour and every day of your life, you would never be blessed. But God is not that kind of a God. He wants us to be obedient, but he blesses us because he loves us. He blesses us because that's his character. He blesses Israel because that's his character. He blessed them here. He says in Numbers chapter 22, they are blessed, not because they were so obedient, but because they were his people. I want to look a little bit about reasons why God blesses and brings them back into the land and gives them the land. In the Old Testament and even today, look for a minute at a couple of these passages. Now, our friend John Piper says, there's, no, there's nothing important about being a Jew. Um, nothing ethnicity is not important. Being a descendant of Abraham has, in a way, he would say, nothing to do with the promises. Well, look at Genesis 12, 1 and 2. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, Abraham. I'll make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is an Abrahamic covenant and it's unconditional. That means it's all on God's side. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, now if you're faithful, Abraham, I will give you certain things. You've got your side and I've got my side. doesn't say that. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. Was Abraham faithful all through his life? Absolutely not. He did a lot of wrong things, a lot of good things, but he made his mistakes. I will bless thee and I'll make thy name great. Thou shalt be, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. 
unconditional. It's all on God's side. He will keep his side. He will be faithful. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. That means those who are national Israel, ethnically Israel. Your offspring, after you through their generations, for an everlasting covenant, generation after generation after generation of those who are Jews, God is going to hold, is going to be faithful to his side of the everlasting covenant. I will give to you and your offspring and after you the land of your sojourning and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Again, unconditional promises of what he will do. Give them land, unconditional promise, and then he will give it to their offspring, not just Abraham, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the offspring after them from generation to generation for an everlasting covenant. Genesis 48, speaking to Jacob at this point, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and give you and you will and, and, and will give this land to your offspring for an everlasting covenant. First of all, it's an unconditional promise. It's a promise to his descendants. It's a promise that that is everlasting. And it's a promise to the Jewish people. Chapter 15. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Your offspring will I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Again, the same verse I've highlighted. Your offspring, your offspring, an everlasting covenant. To, to Jacob, he says in chapter 28, And behold, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abram, your father, the God of Isaac, the land which you lie in, I will give you and your offspring. So we see that those who are ethnically Israel receive the promise. God is faithful. He will be faithful to his unconditional promise and is an everlasting promise. Let's look at four passages passages. John Piper would say, if Israel was unfaithful, if they are unbelieving, they have no right to the land. The right they have to the land, I would argue, is because of the faithfulness of God, of his covenant to the people of Israel. We want to first of all look at Joshua chapter 1. So turn with me to that passage, Joshua chapter 1. When they went into the land in Joshua chapter 1, was Israel believing? Let's think about that. Were they 100% believing in God, faithful to God? Well, I think we could say no. Look what it says. First of all, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 20 Israelites 20 years and older died in the wilderness. Men of war, uh, in Joshua chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, that were 20 years and older, they also died in the wilderness. They sent in 12 spies to spy out the land. And 10 came back and said, Oh, Moses, oh, Joshua, why did you bring us into this land? Let's go back to Egypt. And they wept, and the people of God Israel, when they brought back their report of the giants in the land, they also wept and cried out to to Moses, take us back to Egypt. 
But what happens? They go into the land. And God gives them the land. Look with me at Joshua chapter 1. Now there were two faithful, Joshua and Caleb. And they go into the land. And we read in chapter 1, verse 2, Unto the land which I give to them, even the children of Israel, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given unto you, as I said to Moses. You can see the promise. I promise to Moses. I promise to Abraham. I promise to Isaac and Jacob. I promise to the people of Israel. And I will be faithful to my promise. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given to you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness to the Lebanon to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, going down to the great sea towards going down of the sun, shall be your border. And no man shall stand before you. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee. I will not forsake thee. Why does he say that? Because he's a faithful God. He's faithful to Moses. He's faithful to the children of Israel. He's faithful to his everlasting promise. Israelites failed. If our, if our salvation depended, at depended even 1% upon us, a half a percent upon us, no one would ever get saved. It's all because God is faithful to our trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. Now, Nehemiah, in going back to the land again, was Israel faithful? Were they not disobedient? Well, they went away into captivity. A large part of the nation went into captivity in Babylon. They come back under Zerubbabel in 538. Of all those Jews that were in Babylon, <clears throat> 50,000 come back with Zerubbabel. They begin to build the temple. With Ezra in 439 B.C., 1,700 come. And with Nehemiah, we don't read that any come back with him. But they have Jerusalem. And look at verse 20 of chapter 2. They come back. They begin to build a small percentage. There are more that were not Jews in Israel at this time. They mocked them. They fought against them. They were... At, they were they were the enemies of God, Tobiah, uh, the um, Tobiah, uh, Jeshur, and uh, forget the other three three men that opposed them. But look at chapter two, verse twenty. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arabian. I answered them and I said to them, "The God of heaven will prosper us. We are His servants. We will arise and build." But He says this: "You have no portion." nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He's telling these men that. It's not your land. It's our land. You have no right. You have no portion in Jerusalem or this land. God had given them that land. It was the land of Israel. Were they faithful, as John Piper would say, is a requirement? No. But God is faithful. Let's go on. John Piper would say, and other replacement people would say, so many Jews are not faithful today. And because of their apostasy, they have no right to the land. 
And today there are 7 million Jews in the land of Israel, 14 million Jews worldwide. Uh, 7 million Jews live in other nations of the world. But look what's happening among the Jewish people today. I think we can rejoice in this. How, how many believers are they among the Jewish people? There are roughly 300,000 Messianic Jews worldwide. Those who are in Messianic Jewish people in Messianic congregations. Congregations that are more Jewish in character. 150 Messianic congregations in Israel alone, uh, numbered in 2011. It's estimated we have 30,000 Messianic Jews in Israel. It's estimated that there are 1 million Jewish believers worldwide. And it's estimated that every year 8,000 Jewish people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ every year. It's a phenomenal thing. Over a million Jewish believers in the world today estimated out of the 14 or so million scattered throughout the world, 8,000 being saved every year. I would say, and I would argue, there are more faithfulness today in Israel than it was during the days of Nehemiah or the days of Joshua. And God has brought them back into the land in his promise. 1948, May 14th, 1948, he brings Israel back into the land. When they came to the land, it is said in 1948, there were 30 believing Jews in the land. And today, we can't measure the, 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 the number exactly, but there could be 30, 35, 38,000 Jews who are believers in the Lord Jesus today. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. The book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as what? He's known as the weeping prophet. Why was he weeping? He was weeping over the unfaithfulness of Israel. He knew they would be taken into Babylonian captivity. And two years before chapter 31 that he writes, they were taken into Babylonian captivity. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, we read, of the new covenant. Nehemiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Here's what we read. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That was the Mosaic covenant which was conditional. This is an unconditional covenant. He says, But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know the Lord. Know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin. No more. They've gone into Babylonian captivity just two years before this. And he writes to Jeremiah. And he says, I will be your people. I will be your God. I will write on the hearts of this Jewish people who are disobedient. And then he says, in the verses that follow, 35 to 37. Has he cast off his people, even though they're in Babylonian captivity? 
unbelieving, unfaithful, Jeremiah's weeping over them. And the Lord inspires by the Spirit of God to Jeremiah to write these words. Here's what he writes. Thus saith the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves that roar. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease to be from a nation before me forever. Not just a nation that exists, but a nation of God. If the sea stops crashing to the seashore, if that ever happens, then Israel will, be, will not be a nation before me. If he says, he goes on to say, Thus saith the Lord of the heaven can be measured, the foundation of the earth, the earth can be searched out. If the ordinance is before me, the host of the heavens, if the moon and the stars stop shining, then Israel will cease to be a nation from before me. I had a Jewish friend named Leonard Resnick, ortho, uh, a conservative Jewish man. And some days he would say, Israel, they're, through all these wars and battles, are going to be pushed into the sea. They will exist no longer. And I'd bring my Bible with me, and I'd read him these verses. If the sea would stop crashing to the seashore, if the sun and the moon would stop shining, then Israel will cease to be a nation before me. The world will come to an end before Israel ceases to be the people of God. We'll close with this. God says in Psalm 89, 43, 34, My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. Once have I sworn in my holiness that I will not lie. God is faithful. And what is wonderful about all of this concerning Israel, it applies the same God and the same attitude and the same promises apply to us. He is faithful to us. Romans 11.1, 1, has God cast away his people? God forbid. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for this picture in the Old Testament. Though Israel was often unbelieving and unfaithful, and yet you were always faithful. When they were unfaithful, you were faithful even in a, in a greater way. And we thank you, Father, that you are faithful to Israel and you are faithful to us in our doubts, in our struggles, in our disbelief, in our times that we turn away from God. You're faithful. And so, Father, we give you thanks for that. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.